the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. A few years ago I read a book by Karen Armstrong called The Bible, A Biography, Books That Changed the World. And in this book she talks about how the Bible was written, how it came to be, and how it has been read over the, well, two and a half centuries. She talks about how for most of that time it was understood that the Word of God speaks through the words of Scripture. You'll note that the Scripture itself wasn't the Word of God, the Word of God spoke through Scripture. And so Scripture became something that could be read in several ways. Something that is continually to be wrestled with. Within the Jewish rabbinic tradition, they will take a passage of Scripture and they will talk about it from one perspective. And when they think they've thrashed that out, they'll then approach it from a different direction and talk about that same passage of Scripture from that different perspective. All the time going deeper, understanding it in different ways, so that their breadth of understanding and hearing from the Word of God is intensified. What surprised me in this book was that the shift from that to the Bible is the Word of God, when the Bible stopped being something to be read in a number of ways, something to wrestle with, but to something that can only be read one way, the right way, and usually the preacher's way, so what I'm saying is the right way, to the maker's book, only really happened in the last 140, 150 years. And Armstrong suggests, and I agree, that we, that was desperately unhelpful for Christian faith, and for our ability to speak to each other and our ability to read scripture in a way that allows it to, for us to hear the word of God in the issues we face today. And we desperately need to get back to that way of reading scripture. That through the words of scripture, the, the, word, of, the word of God speaks to us and that we need to wrestle with it. So, let's wrestle with the story about the judge and the widow. This is a passage, I think, that we can read in several ways. I mean, it does state at the beginning that this is a very easy passage to read, and this is what the story is about. It's a parable about their need to pray continuous, continuously and not to be discouraged. But as we tell the story, I wonder where we see ourselves in the story. Are we the widow? Or are we the judge? Or are we somewhere else in the story? Or are we somebody simply listening to Jesus tell the story? 
So it tells the story of a powerless widow who leaves her lane in life. Her lane in life was to be powerless and silent and simply to do what the men said she should do. She decides that's not good enough and she takes action and demands justice. And I thought about that and I thought, well, who in today's world would be like that widow? And this young woman came to mind. Greta Thunberg. Now she is somebody who many who think they are important thinks she should stay in her lane. She should just stay quiet. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And she should leave them, the important people, to address the issues or not in most cases. And so they belittle her and we have many in our media in this country who belittle her and try to ignore her, but she won't go away. She is like that bothering widow, pestering, bugging. Instead, she is in their faces, demanding justice for the planet and all who live on it, demanding that we take climate change seriously, that we change how we live in this world so that all people and all creation can thrive. And that really annoys so many people because young women shouldn't speak up. They should stay quiet and go to school and leave it to, well, mostly men to sort out. And honestly, I can't think of a better picture of this nagging, bothering widow that Jesus uses in his story. And then Jesus goes on to say that the judge decides to give this widow justice because she keeps bothering him. Not because he's just. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't love God by loving his neighbor. He just wants to put an end to her bothering her and his, her embarrassing him. So he acts to avoid being pestered and bothered and, and embarrassed. And Jesus shares, says, surely God who is just can be trusted to act. Which seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Except, well here's the except. If you're in Luke's community where you are undergoing persecution and justice seemed a long way away, I wonder how they heard that. And I wonder how some of us hear that when justice seems so far away. Sometimes it feels like God is not acting, that God is not caring, that God is more like the unjust judge who needs to be bothered and pestered into action by our incessant prayers. And to be honest, there are a number of people who they might not consciously understand that they read this reading that way, but that is pretty much how they read it. We need to keep praying so that God will act. That's pretty much exactly what the widow is doing. That is not trusting God. So what is this praying here all about? Is it about pestering God into action, like Greta is trying to get action? Like the widow who bothered and embarrassed the unjudged, unjust judge into action? Or is there another way of reading 
that it's about, or another way of reading it is, it's about our faithful duty to keep on praying. And that's certainly a valid way of reading it. Or another way of reading it is, is this actually a story about what prayer does to us? So we often think about prayer as something we do to, I don't know, why do we pray? Why is it that we think we pray? To tell God what's going on in the world? Pretty sure God knows. So why do we pray? Maybe drawing attention to things for ourselves so that we might do something about it. Or maybe something else. Maybe, maybe this praying is tied into the faithfulness or another way of translating that Greek word is trust that he talks about at the end of the story. Several of the commentators I read talked about how prayer is not so much us listing our list of requests and complaints, which prayer often is, but actually an honest engaging with God. Us telling God how it is for us and being open to hear from God how it is for God. And in the process, somehow, beginning to see the world through God's eyes, which is kind of what I talked about a little bit last week as we thought about living gratitude. And as I thought about that, I thought about African Americans in the United States and the importance of their songs and their prayers and their, their music, really, which a lot of their prayers were set to music. And if there was ever a people that could have given up on God, this is it. For about 400 years, they have been under the heel of white supremacy. For a number of those years, hundreds of years, as slaves, but those songs and prayers, well, they allowed them to have hope and somehow changed them. And those songs and prayers of those who lived under Jim Crow, songs and prayers of resistance and hope, songs and prayers of people who had every right to give up on God, because God was not swift to act. Justice was a long way away. And, to be honest, a number did give up. And there is a reason why Islam is so strong in the United States, particularly amongst the black community. Because African Americans looked and went, that's what Christianity is, looking at the white community, that ain't about love or justice. I'm going to go and join those other people over there. They seem to have it more sorted out. And yet, for many, those prayers and songs of resistance and hope changed them and allowed them to trust in a God who would provide justice to his chosen people. And by his chosen people, that wasn't just black people, it was also all poor people. Those prayers and songs changed and changed them. 
they gained the courage to stay strong despite what was happening to them. They gained the courage to resist in small ways. And those small ways became large ways. And to take bold actions. Freeing slaves. Setting up the train to freedom for those who wanted to escape. After the Civil War, uh, there was a little brief period uh, before the Democrats did a deal with the Republicans and were able to reinstitute racist policies in the South. The Democrats put in the racist policies in the South. They were the party of the slaveholders, not the Republicans. How times have changed. And, uh, but there were black members of Congress and black members of, of the Senate from the South, briefly. And then, well, they were allowed to stop people, black, black people voting. That was the end of that. But despite that, their faith, their faith gave, gave them the courage to work for change. So that eventually God's justice would prevail and is prevailing. Which is to say that praying incessantly isn't so much about us giving God our list of complaints and things that we need God to do. Our praying incessantly isn't about us motivating God. But it is to motivate us to trust in God's actions, in God's justice and to live out of that trust so that God's justice might prevail. So I wonder, in light of all of that, how do we pray in this time of peril? And what do we pray for? And how is our prayer changing us?